0: Take your Bibles, let's go to the book of Jude, and we're going to finish out figuring out an investigation ID discovery, but we're going to give you a warning this morning, okay? Defective product. How many of you have ever gotten a defective product? You know, um, there's sometimes you'll buy power tools, and there'll be warnings in the instructions. Now I know most of you have no idea they're there because you never read the instruction. You get a power tool, you get it out and you're like, I'm a man. (laughs) Or you know what? You're a woman. It's like, I know how to run this. I can run this better than any guy. And you get it out and you unpack it out of the box and you throw the power to it and get to work. Right? But there is this thing called the instruction manual, right? And inside the instruction manual, there are warning labels all over the place. You know, if you're operating a chainsaw, warning, make sure chain is on the bar and the chain is attached to the sprocket, right? Why would that matter? Fire up a chainsaw without that being the case and watch where that chain goes, right? It might hit you between the forehead. It might smack your your shin. It's going to go all over the place. And if you have a defective product and you've ever tried to use it, there is nothing more frustrating than something that's supposed to work and and it doesn't or something that's designed to do something. How many of you, uh, maybe I shouldn't have you raise your hand on this, but you know those infomercials, right? It's the wonder pan, it cooks everything, right? You ever been caught by one of those? The infomercial says it can do everything and anything. And then you're like, for the low price of $9.99, plus $27 shipping and handling, this could be yours, right? And you get suckered into it and you buy into it and you get the product in the mail, and the pan on TV was this big, and the one you got's this big, you know, it makes one egg. And, like, you look at it, and you're like, this is, this is junk. Why did I pay $30 for junk? Now, I've never done that, OK? I haven't. I don't cook. That's the main reason you know. Um, I, I never did that. But you know what? I have gotten defective products before. And, you, most of you know I fly RC airplanes and I fly, or I drive RC cars and stuff like that, and when you get a defective RC airplane, that's not a good thing. It flies great until it doesn't. Till the right wing pops off the airplane. I did have one do that. Right out of the box. I built the thing the way it said to do it, and it, they didn't put a strong enough spar in it and broke the wing off first flight, and you know what? I was like, man, that product is awesome. No. What a piece of junk right and you know what the bible here in jude jude is actually going to argue to you today that false teachers are junk when it comes to the church and and you're going to see jude is very uh picturesque in how he describes it but when we decipher when we interpret what we're observing him to say i think you're going to come to the same conclusion at the end he's saying warning defective product Um, How many have ever gotten something in the U.S. Postal Service that looks like it went through some war before it came to you? And when you get it, you have to sign it as what? Damaged goods. Well, Jude is going to argue to us this morning that false teachers are damaged goods to the church, and we need to be cognizant of where they are. And we need to be cognizant of who they are because they're not going to come in with their pitchfork and, antler and uh, horns on their head and, and a little tail and a little red guy on their shoulder. They're not going to come in like that. They're going to come into God's church looking like the real deal. The problem is their behavior, what they say, and how they act tells us something totally different. And Jude's going to get into that. So last, let, let's go back up to verse 1 here and remind us of, of where we've been, right? Jude says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm also the half-brother of Jesus Christ, he says, because James is what? The half-brother of Jesus Christ. So he says, by authority, I know who Jesus is, but I'm not coming to you from a physical authority. I'm coming with a spiritual authority. I'm the servant of Jesus Christ with a message from him to you. And who is the you? Well, you who are called, you who are loved in God and kept in Jesus Christ. Eternal security. So those of you who have been placed in the Father's family, you're loved by the Father, and you are being kept by Jesus Christ until his return. So if that is you this morning, this letter is written to you as much as it was to the people in Jude's day. He says there are some calling cards of Christians that are true in all generations. He says this, may mercy, peace, and love be what? May that be a fruit of what you do. May that be the byproduct of Christianity. When Christians show mercy, when they show love, and they have peace, what do we see in COVID? We didn't see a lot of peace in some people, did we? There was some fear. There was some anxiety. There was some doubting scripture and doubting God's ability and, and, and all these things. But you know what? If you're a real believer, you didn't, That none of that stuff should shake you. Why? Jesus is called the prince of... Who can give peace? He's the God of how much love? All love. And who has all mercy? And who displays mercy on a daily basis? God does. So these are all the calling cards of God, right? A person that is yielded, surrendered to God, walking walking with God in a daily way. And he says, Then, beloved, believers, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, so he's writing to who? Believers. Now he flat tells us. Not only do you have the calling cards, but this is written to you believers, those who have the truth, those who know the truth. I'm, I'm ready to write to you concerning our common salvation, like all the other New Testament authors did, But there's a problem. I find it necessary to appeal to you to do what? Contend for the faith. Let me ask you a question. Is that active or passive? That's active, right? Keep on contending for faith. Don't stop contending for faith. Don't get to a complacent, apathetic position in your life, but rather keep moving forward with your faith. And he goes on and says, I appeal to you. And then he says, to contend for the faith but not just any faith but what faith specifically the true faith that was delivered to you that was delivered to the saints that was once for all delivered that means this is a gospel that was given that never changes it's not subject to moving it's a fixed point point. and jude's gonna play off of that here in a minute when he uses the illustrations that he does as wandering waves and wandering stars what do wandering stars not do they don't stay fixated they don't stay stationary they move and he says I'm giving you the gospel contend for the gospel that doesn't move the gospel that is true the gospel that's straight then he gives the warning for certain people verse 4 have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for condemnation And then he says, I want to remind you of these things, verse 5, although you once fully what? Maybe you've forgotten some things. Maybe as you get older, you get a little complacent and we get a little lethargic and the memory's not as sharp as it once was. So Jude says, everything I'm about to tell you, Christian, you already know, but maybe you forgot. So I'm going to remind you of some things that that you would have for, might have forgotten, but you do know these things to be true. And he's not going to expound on any of them. He's just going to throw them out there as zingers. And from verse 5 all the way to verse 13, our closing text today, is one thought. The one thought is, who are these guys? So last week we, we started our investigation ID discovery, right? Where we started digging in, we started trying to figure out who these guys are. And we began to decipher the, the story of Korah, the story of Balaam. We began to uncover the, the story of Cain and why Cain's sacrifice was rejected and Abel's was accepted. And we found out that there is a common theme in all of these people. And what was it? All of them were challenging God's authority, but doing it in a way that seems spiritual. I mean, Korah's argument, were we not better off in Egypt? But who told him to leave Egypt? God did. So that puts Korah in opposition against two. God. Cain, did he not offer a sacrifice to God? Absolutely he did. Did he not do it to God? Sure he did. But what did God want? What What did God tell them he wanted in the form of sacrifice? Remember? Adam and Eve tried to use fig leaves and branches and stuff to cover themselves, and God said what? Not good enough. So what does God do? He kills animals. He sheds blood and tells them, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So they know what God's standard is. They've been told God's standard. So Abel takes animals, sacrifices it to God. Cain takes what? Vegetables. (laughs) What's the problem here? No blood. He's doing what he wants to do in the name of God's worship, In rebellion against God's standard. And what is the consequence? Abel's sacrifice is received. Cain's sacrifice is rejected. Just like Balaam. He's hired to do one job, right? Curse Israel. Speak curses on Israel. Every time he opens his mouth, what's he do? He blesses Israel. And the king is just beside himself like Balaam. I'd rather you shut up than open your mouth if you're going to do this. Because every time you open your mouth, it's costing me money and it's costing me problems. And what do we know about Balaam? Balaam is cursing his donkey, yelling at his donkey because his donkey won't move. And what do we know is true that's standing in front of his donkey? An angel. And the donkey turns around and tells him like Mr. Ed, you idiot. Do you not see? And what do we know about Balaam? He doesn't. He doesn't see it. And you know what? He's openly rebelling against God's standard and God's way and appearing to do so in a very spiritual kind of way. And if you take every reference to the Old Testament that you see in the book of Jude here, you're going to find out that is the common theme. Although they acted spiritual, they weren't. Although they acted like they worshiped God, They're actually working against God. Although they're looking good on the outside, they're corrupted on the inside. And now Jude is going to tell us once for all, he said, I've given you all these Old Testament stories that you know, but you might have forgotten. Okay? So I'm going to remind you of these things. But now he's going to switch to nature. And he's going to tell us what the result of this is going to be. So in verses 5 through 7, we saw that the path of these men is destruction. Just like the angels who usurped their authority were placed where? They left heaven and where'd they end up being? Chained in darkness, right? Under this day, they were destroyed. Just like uh, the nation of Israel, when they left the land of Egypt, they were destroyed who didn't believe. So he says, their way is destruction. Verses 8 through 10, we've got to get a view of their current practices. They deceive people. They look good on the outside. They're in it for themselves. The sensuality, the, the sexual stuff, you know, the money, the prestige. It's all about them and puffing themselves up. It's not about the people of God growing. It's not about wanting to do something great for God. It's all about themselves. But it says it's coded in or veiled in the outward appearance of good. And then finally, last of all, we find out their motivation. Look with me at verse 11. And this is where we're going to pick it up today. At verse 11, he says this. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So we have all three guys listed there, right? We got Cain. We've got Balaam, and we've got Korah. Remember, what do they all have in common? They knew God's standard, they knew what God wanted, and they did their, their own way. They went their own way. They did their own thing that they thought was better than what God thought. So these are the ones who have gone this way. And now, Jude is going to give us four illustrations. Four illustrations of what the outcome of this is. For these these people, what they're, what they're like, and he uses a bunch of uh, uh, references of things that you and I might not really understand. So this morning, and, and we may understand them, we might get them as well, but we're going to take it and we're going to break it down into pieces here that we can digest and we can understand. So let's read verses 12 and 13 now, and then let's go back and let's tear these this passage apart and really ID what's going on here because... Jude is going to ID the imposters here by using natural illustrations to show these people are defective in their faith and they need to be reached with the true gospel. So he says this, starting in verse 12. These, meaning those that went the way of Balaam, Korah, and Cain, these are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by the winds fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead uprooted wild waves of the sea casting up foam from their own shame wandering stars for whom the gloom and utter darkness has been reserved forever now that's clear as can be right did you get all those did you get every one of those phrases no way right so let, let's break it down and let's try to understand what these are. Let's look at the first phrase of verse 12. All right? Because it talks about two things that don't go together. Uh, where do you find a reef? In the ocean, right? How many feasts do you celebrate in an ocean? I mean, unless you're on a cruise ship, maybe, I guess. But I don't see many cruise ships in Jude's time. Right? Right? So it's probably not a cruise ship here. But in verse 12, specifically, it says this. He goes, These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Love feasts were opportunities for the church to come together. You know what we call them today? Potlucks. Okay? This is a potluck of the church. They're, They're feasting together at church they're with you at church, they're eating with you, they're talking with you, they're sitting with you, but they're like a coral reef. What is a coral reef to a ship? Certain death. If you're cruising out in the ocean, you hit a coral reef, your ship is sunk. So notice what he actually says here. And by the way, the the word reef there is a, a, a nautical term. In the Greek, it's only used a few times in the whole Bible. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. These are sinking objects as you're navigating in the church. These are ones you're going to run into, and they're going to sink your battleship. Okay? he says, they're at your love feasts. They're feasting with you without fear. Why? What's a spy do? A spy blends in, right? Is he fearful of everybody? No, because what's he know? You don't know. You don't know his motive. You don't know why he's there. He comes into the church and appears normal. He appears like everybody else. He sounds good. He talks good. But the problem is he's a coral reef in the middle of your church. In the middle of God's work, they're there creating landmines, creating opportunities to sink ships, to cause damage. Which really leads me into what our first point is this morning, and that is this. The main thought or or idea that Jude wants to show us here is this. uh, He wants us to see what influence or what effects defective teachers will have on a church. He says they're already in your midst in the church. They're already there. And they're like a coral reef that's going to sink some people if they're exposed to these teachers. So you, the church, who know what's right, who know the truth, you all have the responsibility to uphold truth where you live. You are the ambassadors of truth. And he says, as ambassadors of truth, I'm going to show you three things that you've got to guard, three things that you've got to watch out for. And the first one is this. If you allow false teachers to stay in your church and not speak truth towards them, it's going to produce an impure church. You're going to have a church that gets tainted in doctrine, tainted in practice, tainted in what they believe. They're going to go away from the Bible. Now, um, let's look at the next phrase here because Jew goes on a little more in depth here and he says, "Um, they're at your love feast and they feast with you without fear. They're shepherds feeding themselves. Whose interest are they in for? Their own. They're not interested in your salvation. They're not interested in your walk with Jesus. They're not interested in you maturing and growing in your faith. They're content with you staying dumb in the faith because as a shepherd guides sheep, what can they do to you? They can lead you wherever they want to go. These are the pastors that constantly move goalposts. These are the ones that you're ever trying to attain and get to, but you're never able to get there. There's always another step. There's always another gap. There's always another reason why you can't get to where they are. Because if you attain it, then who don't you need anymore? You know what? A real pastor's job is to work his way out of a job. If you all get smarter than me one day, I hope that you begin to pastor your own church. I hope that you're a Sunday school teacher. I hope that you're, you're involved in some sort of ministry, leading a small group, doing something like that. Get smarter than me. I want you to be that. Because every person smarter than me is a multiplication of God's kingdom. Again, because if I'm multiplying the kingdom and you're smarter than me and doing the same thing, well, that's a times two factor, isn't it? And let's say you get seven people doing that. Now you're a times seven factor. And that's exactly how Jesus did it in his time. He took 12 men and reached how much of the world? All of you are results of that fruit. All the multiplication and multiplication and multiplication and multiplication got to you at some point where you believed and you heard. And Judah's saying this, they're shepherds that feed themselves. They're not interested in spiritual growth. They're about keeping you busy, keeping you occupied, keeping you under their control because if they can control you, they manipulate you then for their own benefit. He's going to tell you what those benefits are here in a minute. He's going to tell you why that matters. But it produces an impure church because when you come alongside to worship together and serve together and do things together, there are going to be impure motives in the midst of people in the church that are trying to get their own gain out of the church. Now, do we see that today? Very much. Are there people that come to church only for what they can get? Absolutely. Jesus came to do what? To receive or to give? To give his life as a ransom for who? Many others. He didn't come to serve himself. So these are men who come, they partake the Lord's Supper with you in an unworthy way. They make a mockery of the communal fellowship of the church. Uh, They're a blemish on the purity of the church. Let's look at some passages of Scripture here. Ephesians 5. Uh, This passage of Scripture kind of helps me get my head wrapped around this in some way. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word. Now who's the he and who's the her? The he is Jesus Christ. To sanctify her, who's the her? His church. So God wants his church or Christ wants his church to be what? Pure or tainted? Pure. Well, let's go to the next verse. Let's see what happens. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. How much of that sounds tainted? It's the exact opposite of being tainted. God wants a pure church. He wants pure teachers. He wants people speaking the truth because it's the truth, not because they're getting some gain out of it. Because they're manipulating people out of it. That's not what God wants. Look at 2 Peter. I love this passage. Remember, 2 Peter is the parallel to Jude, right? And now we're getting into the verses in Jude that actually 2 Peter is going to mirror. These are like irrational animals. Have you heard that before? Look back at verse 11 in uh, Jude here, or verse 10. Look back up at verse 10. What are they like? They're like what? Untamed animals. Untamed animals, irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant. Remember the angels? They blaspheme that which they do not know. Blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction. So God says this, those that are working against purity, those who are working against what he wants, are going to be destroyed. And Christ wants a pure church, an undefiled, a holy church. Now we jump down to Revelation twenty one and verse two. This is an interesting verse because it says this and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What do brides wear to weddings? Why? Purity, holiness. So he sees holy city, New Jerusalem. Who's occupying New Jerusalem? The saints. The purified saved saints. So this is a reminder to believers that purity in the church is important to God. And the responsibility of the entire congregation is to maintain purity. This is why every time we partake of the Lord's table, we say what? Let a man examine... It's your responsibility to police the holiness of the church. Because you are the church. You control you. I can't control you, praise the Lord for that. You can't control me, praise the Lord for that. However, we are to control ourselves. We have have self-control. We have been given the spirit that is able to help us in these areas. So, he says this, I want you to keep the church pure and I want you to be evaluating the people around you and your own motives so that you don't fall under the spell of one of these shepherds who creep in unawares who are in it for themselves who are in it for not for the cause of you maturing in your faith but they're actually tearing you down keeping you subservient to them so that they can get what they want out of you now do we see that in the modern church today are there people that manipulate people to get what they want is there not conspiracies and 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 things going on in the church in our modern era That that very well fits what Jude was fighting in his era. Now, mind you, remember Jude is writing this about his time period. How many generations are we from Christ? Jude is the what brother of Jesus, the half brother. This is in a lifetime of Jesus that these things are already starting to happen. How much more so in our day, being this far removed. This is also a reminder of the seriousness of sin. Consequences of sin vary, but God's position against sin is that it is offensive to him. This is why the Lord's Supper, we use it as a time of self-examination and saying, get right with God at that time. Confess your sins to the Lord. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us. Second thing we're going to find is this. If the false teachers are in the church, the church is going to become impoverished. It's going to get poor. It's going to lack power. It's, it's going to lack direction. It's going to lack a lot of things. Because the next two examples that Jude gives now, he talks about clouds with no water and trees with no fruit. So we're going to kind of take this one together. Okay, these are two separate, but really they teach the same thing. Look with me at verse 12. He says, These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Then a semicolon is there. Waterless clouds swept along by the wind, semicolon. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, semicolon, right? So we have three independent thoughts here. The first one we dealt with already that's the reef and the love feast. But now he, says, he refers to two things that we are actually familiar with. How many wish last night we had waterless clouds? Right? I mean, if you're a farmer, you're like, no, we wanted the watered clouds. Right? If you're a parade person, you wanted waterless clouds. You would have had cover from the sun. You could still get burned, but at least it wasn't raining on you. Right? What good is a waterless cloud on a long term basis? None. What does a waterless cloud produce? Nothing. What do dead trees produce? Firewood, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, a fruitless tree does in late autumn is worthless. It's good for nothing. Because in late fall, what do they not have on them either? Leaves. So you have no leaves and no fruit. But then it goes one step further in the argument here, doesn't it? It says that they're uprooted. What does an uprooted tree produce? So not only is it dead in production, but it's also dead in its existence. It has no power. It has no ability. It doesn't even have the ability to grow fruit because it's uprooted. It's out of the ground. It's dead dead. So here he says this. These teachers will come in and they'll impoverish the church by keeping them under their suppression, under their control. And then what they're going to do is they're going to come in and they're going to be like a waterless cloud. A cloud that never produces rain. It's it's good for shade, but that's about it. And then it's like a tree that doesn't produce fruit and it's twice dead. And this has the idea of this. There's no care for growth and no care for maturity. They don't care if you grow. They don't care if you know what the Bible says. They don't care if you can produce fruit. They don't care that you're getting watered. All they care about is keeping the narrative the narrative. Keep in the looks on the outside what it is. They're they're imposters, they're defective items when it comes to the work of God. Check out what the Bible says about this kind of false teacher. First John chapter two and verse twenty six, the Bible says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to say it together. There are people in the world today, even in the church today, that want you to be deceived. They're doing the work of Satan in the house of God. They're there. John warned us about that. Look at what Amos says in Amos chapter 2 and verse 4. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of God and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. What led them astray? The lies. The things that weren't true, the things that they were told that are not necessarily from God. Listen to Proverbs 28 and verse 10. Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own what? His own pit. But the blameless will have what? Good inheritance. So again, purity with impurity. Spotless against spotted. And we see over and over again the Bible compares these two. Look at Matthew 18 and verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a what? A Not just a millstone, a what? A great millstone. Think about that. Samson pushed one of those around, if you remember, in his day, the millstone. A great millstone be fastened around his neck, and he'd be drowned in the depths of the sea. So I guess if you want modern day terms and they're Italian... They got shoes that will fit you perfect. Right? We're just going to go down by the river and check it out. See if they work. So it would be better off if they were dead. That they were nothing. Than to be teaching and misleading those who are God's people. So there is a high price for false teaching. There is a high bar in God's economy when it comes to false teachers. And he says emphatically, they will be destroyed. They will be caught in their air. They will be taken care of. But us as a church today, we believers today, we need to remember Korah was one of those. We need to remember Cain was one of those. We need to remember Balaam was one of those. We need to remember, and what's he trying to get across? In every generation, and every time, there are those who are trying to lead God's people away from God. So is our time anything different? No. We shouldn't be shocked by this. We shouldn't be surprised by this. If anything, we should be on guard against this. And that's what Jude is begging. He says, I, I, I would love to write to you about a common salvation, but I'm begging for you to contend for the truth. Because already, first generation, we've got people coming in teaching something different. In 2017, I had to look this fact up the other day. Um, I was trying to find a more modern date on this, and I can't find one. But in 2017, the the ones who record starvation, the number of people who starved, died of starvation, in the world was 9 million people. That was in 2017. 9 million people die of starvation in the world every year. I wonder how many die of spiritual starvation every year. That, that's a number that motivates many organizations and industries to go out there and feed the hungry and uh, let's stop hunger, let's stop global hunger, right? And all these movements. But you, I wonder how many millions of people die spiritually famished spiritually starving because there's not the word of God being given to people and yet here God has built an organization to feed those that are hungry I wonder how we're doing in that area you see if the truth is going to prevail the truth has to go out the truth has to be be told it can't be a passive truth and then expect an active reward it's got to be an active truth that gets an active result So these impoverished teachers produce shallow, weak, anemic believers or churchgoers that don't care much for doctrine, biblical exposition, sacrifice, mission, or God. Teachers, disciples, church members, they're not worried about any of that stuff. Why? Because it's not about you, it's about them. And they don't care about things that God cares about. Does God care whether or not you know you're in his family? absolutely he wrote the book to make sure you knew you were part of his family does god care that that there's that does god want you to know doctrine does he want you to know what you should believe sure he does that's why he gave pastors and teachers and missionaries and apostles and pastors for the work of the ministry training the saints to do the work of the ministry does God tell us that it's going to be sacrificed if we follow him? Absolutely he does. So here's the reality. People should be growing in their knowledge of Christ and in the depth of their walk because of you. If you truly are the church, then this statement should be true of us. People should be growing in their knowledge of Christ and in the depth of their walk because of you. Is that true this morning? Jude says, you need to contend for the faith. You need to contend for the truth. You need to be actively doing Remember, it's active, not passive. We already deduced that from the very beginning. You need to be actively contending for the faith. And how does that flesh out? Well, we have to ask the question in our churches is this. Are we being fed? Are we being fed in our churches? Are we being taught the Bible? Or are we being given experiences and emotional uh, outings? But if we're being fed, then we have to ask the question, who am I feeding? If I'm being fed and I'm learning in my faith, then I need to be investing in somebody else and in their faith. You see, we're not just, we're not just trying to feel better about ourselves. We're not trying to, to, to produce spiritual fruit in our own way. We're trying to do what God has told us works. And what works is, if we hide God's word in our heart, we won't what? Sin against him. So should God's people sin more or sin less? We should sin less. Now, are you ever not going to sin? Yeah, if you you, you arrive there, let's talk, right? We're never going to get to sinless perfection until we're in heaven. Our glorified bodies are incapable of sinning, okay? But this mortal body, guess what? Read about Paul's struggle in Romans 7 sometimes. I don't want to do some things but man I do them and when I do them I feel bad that I did them and I really didn't want to do what I did but I did what I did and now I don't want to do what I do so stop doing what I do and do what I don't do and if I do what I don't do then man I would be awesome but you know what a wretched man that I am I can't get out of my own way he says who can rescue me from myself the question he asks at the end and the answer is what Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit and Romans chapter 8 is all about what happens when the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. And now there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that mean you don't sin anymore? No. It means you're not condemned because of your sin anymore. Now I have the right to go to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness. And 1 John 1.9 means something. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive because there's now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So let's look at the last one. The indiscriminate church. Verse 13 is the byproduct of false teaching. And what do I mean by that? Well, these last two illustrations Jude gives are of destructive waves of the sea being tossed about and wandering stars across the sky. Um, I think here in Minnesota we can relate to both of these. Have you ever been outside on a clear night in a field and you look up at the stars? What do you see? You see stationary objects, and you see moving objects, right? Sometimes, if you're lucky, you'll even catch the star train that goes over, right? Elon Musk uh, Skylink, or whatever it's called, you'll see that go across the sky. And that's fascinating to see these bright dots go ripping across the sky at a fast pace. If you're really observant on some nights, you'll actually see the International Space Station go overhead. And you can actually watch it go across the sky here in Minnesota. If you're really, really observant at night, you'll see satellites go ripping overhead, and different things. And on certain times of the year, at certain times of 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 certain periods of time, there's these things called meteors, right? And you get to watch them go across the sky. Now, if you were a navigator back in uh, the Mayflower era, what did you use to navigate? Stars. And why is the North Star an important star? Doesn't move, right? The whole sky can pivot, but there's one star that sits stationary all the time. Matter of fact, when the SR-71 Blackbird, one of the fastest jets in the world of its time, was flying in the skies, the only way it could navigate was off the stars. It was too high for radio navigation, and it was too fast for radio navigation, but there was one, they, they, they used constellations, to be able to navigate the world and know where they were at any time. And they had this little telescope that would shine up out of the top of the cockpit that would give them a view of the stars so they can navigate off of the stars and its uh, reference navigation unit would know where they were by cross-checking where the constellations were all the time so they knew their position using trigonometry. Stars are important even up until our modern, modern jet age era. And the Bible talks about this, that these guys are like wandering stars. What good's a wandering star? (laughs) You ever been out in a field at night and tried to walk a straight line? You won't do it. In order to walk a straight line, what do we have to have? A fixed point of reference. You ever watch a farmer, uh, a young farmer in a field try to plow a straight line without picking a reference point? Or watch somebody mow the grass without a reference point. They think they did a straight line, they turn around and look, and they're all over the place, weren't they? They're just bobbing and weaving all over. And you know what? These false teachers are like stars that are moving. There's no fixed point. They're constantly moving. They're constantly changing positions. Aren't you glad we don't see politicians or anybody do that in our day? Aren't you glad you don't see any of these signs in our time period? They're all over the place. And he says, be careful of that. Then he uses another one. Oh, by the way, the wandering star comment in this time period for Jude would have been for navigation purposes. What wandering stars mess them up? They didn't have satellites back then. They didn't have an international space station. There was no sky link. So what are the moving stars in the sky that are messing up these guys? The planets. And they had to differentiate between a planet and a star. And stars didn't move, but planets constantly moved. So if they were trying to navigate off a planet, they would end up off course. Then, since we're talking navigating, right, let's talk about waves. Any of you ever watched Deadliest Catch? On TV, and Discovery, or at some point in the past watched it? What is the one type of wave all captains are afraid of? The rogue wave, Right. Why the rogue wave? It's big, it comes out of nowhere, and it comes unexpectedly. And when it hits the ship, what happens? It hits hard, it hits fast, and you're at its mercy. And these guys are like rogue waves. You're going along in church, and all of a sudden, bam! You take a shot, and the foam comes up from the water going over your bow. And as the foam dissipates and disappears, they, they hit, they disappear, they go away. They wreak havoc in the church. And Jude is trying to use verbal ways of describing what's going on. Let me give you what some of the other New Testament writers use to describe these same guys. Let's look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 13, so that we no longer may be tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by what? Every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes that kind of sound like a rogue wave as you're going through life don't get hit by a rogue wave don't get tossed about by every wave and doctrine that's out there but stay focused on what your navigation point james talks about this too in chapter 1 verse 6 but let him ask in faith without doubting for the one who doubts is like a what a rogue wave He's a wave in the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. What is a rogue wave? A wave that's working opposite of all the normal waves. It comes in as pushed by the wind and slams into your side of your ship." Hebrews talks about this too, Hebrews 13 and verse nine. He says, "Do not be led away by device, uh, diverse or strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by fools which have not benefit, which does not benefit. Those devoted to him. So if we get caught up in some crazy doctrinal thing, what happens? We become ineffective. We're not strengthened. We actually become foolish. Second Timothy four and verse three talks about the same thing here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears and will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Man, we're living in that day, aren't we? Let's take a survey and find out what you want the church to be. How about we take our Bible and find out what God wants the church to be? I mean, there's a thought. It's worked for 2,000 years. Why change it now? It, it, does this book get antiquated? Does this book get obsolete? I mean, again, if it's truth, it's it's good when. In all times, in all places, in all cultures. Truth is truth. It, it's repeatable. It's sustainable. And it continues to be truth regardless of situational ethics. So as we read, as we watch TV, as we listen to podcasts, we have to learn to discriminate between that which is good and that which is damaged goods. That which is good and that which is false. Deceitful. So don't just take what I say. Don't take what David Jeremiah says. Don't take what Piper says or MacArthur says or any of these other guys. And these aren't necessarily bad guys, okay? These, these are some of the ones I like. But I can tell you this, is MacArthur right 100% of the time? Is Piper right 100% of the time? Is, is, well, maybe. No, David Jeremiah, is he right 100% of the time? No. Is Joe DeVitro right 100% of the time? No. Are you right 100% of the time? But you, I'll talk to your wife afterwards. There's always one, people, there's always one. Is this right 100% of the time? In every culture, in every time, with every generation? Then who are we going to follow? The ones who think they know what the Bible says or what the Bible actually says? And how do we know what the Bible actually says? Well, we observe it, right? We read it. We observe it. Then we interpret it, right? We look at the words. We look at the structure. We look at what it says. And we, we define what it says. And we can know what those are. Words matter. In the Bible, words matter. So we have observation, interpretation, and then what do we do with it? We apply it, we apply it to our lives. So in this situation, we know what a false teacher is. We know what a false teacher is like. We know what their motivation is. We know what the fruit, the byproduct of their lives are. We know that they're already damned by God and, 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 and sealed for destruction. We already know they're working against God in a very open way, but it looks spiritual on the outside, but it's absolutely corrupt on the inside. We know that they're not going to conform to what God's standards are, even though they act like they are conforming to God's standards, just like Cain, just like Balaam, just like Korah. And we know that they're, they're not going to have the answers when their faith is actually tested because they're going to be like a rogue wave that appears out of nowhere, hits, and then it's gone. They have no lasting influence. They're like a tree that's been uprooted twice dead. It doesn't produce fruit, and nor will it ever produce fruit. So if you see ministries, you see men, you see women that have these characteristics about them, then what do you know? You're dealing with a false teacher. So then you hit them with your Bible. No, you don't do that. How do you overcome lies? With truth. Now, are these teachers evil in and of themselves? Remember, what's our spiritual battle? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but these are men and women who are deceived by Satan. So what do they need? What did you need when you were deceived by Satan? You needed the truth. You needed the truth about who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you. And Jude is going to shift here in the next verse. He's going he's gonna to reference Enoch He's going to reference some other things. And he's about to transition really hard here on us. It's a hard pivot, if you will. A hard pivot off of, okay, this is who the false teachers are. This is what the dynamics are. This is what they give off, okay? And when you see this, you know what you got now. But now how do you deal with them? How do you work with them? How do you work against them? How do you work with them? Is there things we can do to help them? Or should we just completely stay away from them? Because they're damaged goods. Are they damaged goods? Yeah. God says they're damaged goods. But guess what you and I were before our salvation? Damaged goods. And aren't you glad that our Father, and we sung about this at the very beginning, we sung about this, He takes you where you are and He makes you into what He wants you to be. The old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And you know what? All of us in here who are believers, I would love to preach to you about our common salvation. But instead of preaching about our common salvation, what do we have to teach? Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. This is an active thing, not passive. Be actively contending for the faith. Why? Because we, collectively, are the truth bearers. We have the word of God. Is it truth? Then it's good for every generation, for every time, and every place, including ours. Lord willing, next week we'll jump into a little bit of um, this idea of what Jude has to say about going forward. But I want to close with an illustration of somebody who got it right, but everybody thought they got it wrong. And uh, this is kind of where um, I think the church is today. We have the right answer, but I think we, we, we... Everybody thinks we got it wrong, so we don't do anything with it. But have you ever heard of the name of a doctor? His name is Ignaz Schimelweiss. Ignaz Schimelweiss. Anybody heard of them? Doctor? Yeah, because I told you last night. He's a doctor. He's from Austria. And he actually put out there This preposterous idea that before you do surgery on somebody, you should wash your hands. And if you would wash your hands before you do surgery on somebody, it increases their or decreases their chance of getting an infection by anywhere between 14 and 27%. But you know what the medical world said when they heard that? How stupid is that? Why would we stop and wash our hands before every surgery? We already worked on somebody, we're ready to work on the next one, let's just keep working. Yet today, how many of you are glad that your doctor washes his hands every day, every time before he does work on you? And this stupid Schummelweiss guy, who does he think he is? Trying to tell us to wash our hands before surgery. Today, what's the standard medical practice around the world? And we can thank that Austrian doctor for the audacity to speak out and actually challenge the status quo to get something as simple as washing your hands as a standard practice. Do you believe truth prevails today? Now let's start washing our hands with the truth. Let's start sharing the truth. Let's go out and actually be proactive. How proactive is it to wash your hands before doing surgery? Can you do surgery without washing your hands? Sure, you can. I don't want that doctor. I want the one that washes his hands. But here, this this doctor, he knew. He did the research. He figured it out. By the way, he was fired from his hospital. He was hated in Vienna where he practiced and was almost taken completely out of the medical world because of his radical thinking. I'm glad for him today, aren't you? And you know what, I'm glad for the teacher who shared the gospel with me, who was proactive with the gospel. I thank God for the ones who were proactive in my life, that they kept speaking truth into my life. And you know what, I hope for each and every one of us who has the truth, and we're growing in the truth, that we bring somebody along to learn with us in that truth. If you're here today and you're struggling and sharing your faith, the best thing you do is try. Read the Word of God and do it. What's the Holy Spirit there for? They teach you and guide you. You'll be amazed at scripture you can recall when you share your faith, when you defend truth. Now don't go out there and beat people up with it. That's not what the Bible teaches either. But we speak the truth in love. And the world needs to hear truth today because there's so many lies out there, so many false teachers out there. But when the truth cuts through, people know it's truth. They see it's truth. They know it's truth. And how many of you has God ever let you down? Ever abandon you? Ever leave you forsaken? No. He's always there. And he'll be there when you go in to share the gospel with somebody. He's there with you every step of the way. So, contend for truth. Contend for the faith that was once given to the saints. So, there's an impure church, an impoverished church, and an indiscriminate church that comes when people who have a, a, a false view of truth get involved with the church. And they might be sincere... I'm sure all those medical doctors were sincere too, but they were sincerely what? They were sincerely wrong. And we can be too sometimes.